From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Any number of words can be used to describe the 2020 athletic season. Unprecedented, weird, nerve-wracking, bizarre, frustrating, exciting, and many more all across the spectrum. No matter how you may choose to classify it, it was undeniably a difficult year, and that required a steady hand at the wheel to lead the program through the unknown. On today's show, we welcome Athletic Director Scott Strickland to assess where we've been and, more importantly, where we're going. With a focus on what the fan experience will look like in the fall post-COVID, highlights from the spring season, hiring just the second coach in the history of Florida soccer, the grand vision for the new football facility, the issues around compensating players for their likeness, future plans for the Swamp, the proposed expansion of the college football playoff, and more. So without further ado, here is that conversation, beginning with how he's feeling now that one of the strangest seasons in history is behind us. Candidly, I, I, uh, I'm excited. Just, you know, I'm looking forward to next year and uh, that, that first ball game, uh, you know, September 4th in the swamp against FAU. That's, that's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've had people, I have a lot of people come up to me and just talk about how, uh, how much anticipation they have to be back in the swamp with a full stadium and, you know, just to, to tailgate and do all the things that traditionally we've done at football that we weren't able to do this past year. I, candidly, I, I, uh, I haven't really thought about what we've been through the last year very often here lately. I, you know, we all lived it. It wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Certainly not, not something to look back on and reminisce about. And um, I'm really proud of our staff and obviously our, our sports health staff did a phenomenal job. Stacy Higgins and Duke Warner and all the people who work with them. Um, our our coaches, you know, were excellent leaders during this time. Our, our student athletes really, they were model in what they did. They, you know, they, they took care of their, uh, their responsibilities academically, ac- athletically. They did all the protocol stuff. Um, and, you know, from where we were a year ago to now, it's you know rewarding that we got through a year. But uh, I'm I'm just I'm spending most of my time looking forward and just excited for what we have ahead of us. You announced last week that despite suffering a loss of fifty-four and a half million dollars last year, which is a lot of money, uh, the UAA remained on solid footing going forward. Um, just for, from a layman's standpoint, how were you able to do that? Because that that sounds crazy, but how how is that possible? Well, there's a lot of things that go into that. One, we, we had a healthy reserve to begin with, and we, we had to tap some of that, but that's why you have a reserve is mm-hmm. for unforeseen circumstances, which obviously this was. You know, some some belt tightening and, and uh, cost containment across the board, whether that was, uh, you know, we didn't pay out any bonuses to our, our coaches who normally, you know, do pretty well postseason. They earn a lot of bonuses, no bonuses. Um, you know, we did a hiring freeze. Uh, we suspended pension payments, but we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't have to mm-hmm. furlough anyone. We didn't travel as much. Uh, you know, recruiting didn't take place, and co- mm-hmm. co- coaches weren't on the road as they are in a typical traditional pattern of recruiting cycle. So that's a you know, there's some cost savings there as well. And then you know, the SEC was in a position because of future revenue streams coming on board to uh, 
to provide a supplemental stipend to each school. And, you know, so you factor all that stuff in and combine it. And, you know, we're, we're in much better shape than uh, we feared this time a year ago. You mentioned a moment ago, not having to furlough anybody, not having to lay anybody off, considering how many businesses, I mean, across the board, whatever industry you mentioned, you know, you're going to have those. How much pride do you take in the fact that you were able to keep this UAA family intact and not have to go to those measures that, that so many others did? Well, it, it speaks to the strength of, of um, you know, what the decisions that have been made here for a long, long time, you know, going back uh, with Jeremy Foley and he, you know, was very fiscally responsible and, and uh, we tried to continue that and make sure that, you know, we're, we're being wise with our resources and we, you know, we do have a really sound financial uh, balance sheet and our people are what makes this place so special. We're blessed with incredibly talented, hardworking, dedicated staff and they're a wonderful asset and they're the reason we're able to provide that championship experience with, in, with integrity to our student athletes, our fans, and everybody else. And we just prioritized that, that they were going to, uh, we we're going to do everything we could to uh, minimize the impact on them. And they still had some impact, but, mm. but we were probably in a better position than most. In terms of, of moments you'll remember from this year, I know you said, you know, on the whole, this is not something you want to look back on. It's about looking forward. But in terms of the the milestones, and then the one I imagine would be the biggest is softball uh, regionals when you get to full capacity for the first time, and then essentially, you know, having the closest thing to normalcy that anybody has felt in, in over a year. What was it like building to that moment, and and how exciting was it to be in that position? You know, the whole spring was kind of a series of continually improving circumstances. And, you know, we got through the fall, which was, you know, doing something that had never been done in, in any of our lifetimes, which is, you know, competing during a pandemic and and doing it with the, the socially distanced crowds and, and you know, the, all the testing protocol. And that kind of, you know, by the time we got into the winter sports, we felt like we kind of had the, we had it down. We knew what, what you know, what all this required and, and it didn't feel new anymore. And then by the time we got back to the spring and outdoor sports and vaccines were, were coming online, it, you know, we went from, I think, uh, you know, six feet social distancing at our outdoor venues to three feet. It just kind of gradually got better and better and better. And it did culminate, as you mentioned, with that, that softball regional. And um, that was a, a fun day. I mean, it was just, it was, it was one of those, we made it, you know, we got on the other side and, you know, the last event we had with full crowds was the softball game in March of 2020 right. against, I believe, Auburn. We had a huge crowd on a Sunday against Auburn, packed the place. And so it was kind of uh, poetic that that our first crowd, our first event with normal crowds on the other side of the pandemic in, in May of 21, 14 months later, was a softball uh, game. And, and um, there, there's a, you know, it felt like we'd truly, literally come full circle. Mm. One moment I'm sure you would like to reflect on from the spring is men's tennis and claiming their first national championship for the program. Uh, what what did it mean to see that come together? Because, you know, everybody from the outside has been able to observe the steady progress that, that Brian and his staff have made in building toward this. What did it mean to see that come to fruition in the way that it did? Uh, well, you know, when you have good people who you know, work incredibly hard, they're about the right things and uh, they're competitors, you know, there's almost a sense of, 
um, it's inevitable. And that's kind of the way I felt with Brian, that it was going to be inevitable that, that at some point he was going to lead the Gators to, to a position where they could hold up that big trophy. And so um, <clears throat> I don't think anybody was surprised or, or shocked, you know, uh, but it was it, it felt like, uh, you know, this is something that that is bound to happen. And, and uh, we're awfully glad it, it happened this year. You know, probably the one thing uh, during that whole run that that was a I don't know the right word, but but kind of shocking or jarring or or, or maybe even an oh, my was uh, we're in the finals against Baylor and, and we were down. We lost the doubles point and, and we're, you know, all the singles matches were relatively well uh, contested and all of a sudden we win three straight matches to make it a three one you're one match away from clinching Mm -hmm. and you realize that it's going to come down to to ben shelton brian's Mm -hmm. son Mm -hmm. freshman who should be in high school this year but graduated early to to come play and and he's just been unbelievable addition to the team obviously super talented and it's ben has been a guy all year that he was one of the first singles matches completed during the season, just he, he would take care of his opponent relatively mm-hmm. quickly. And, and uh, so here we are, and he's, he's grinding in a third set after losing the first set. And we realized that, that he's going to be the guy that, that clinches the match, uh, not only for the Gators, but, you know, he's, his dad's the head coach. And so right. there's just, that was, you, you probably couldn't write a better script. And um, that was one of those, this is, you know, usually when you're winning a championship, there's that moment, you know, something really special happens and, and it, it makes you go, okay, this is, this is, this is supposed to be this way. And, mm-hmm. you know, when baseball won their world series, uh, it was, it was when the, uh, uh, the double play runner, runners interference, base runners interference calls double play, mm-hmm. uh, automatic double play. And they took a run off the board in a tight game against LSU late. It was like, that was the moment you go, okay, this something special is happening here. Right. And you look down there and you saw Ben Shelton was going to clinch the match. And you're like, this, this is going to be really special. And this is what, that's going to be my memory from, from that championship. But super happy for Brian Tanner, uh, Stump, his assistant. Um, just, you know, that, that's a really, that whole group is really special. And they, you know, several guys have been, have been here for a while and a Duarte and, and, uh, uh, Sam Riffis and, and, and then Sam goes on and wins the individual right. title on the men's side. Um, just, it was, it was a pretty special couple of weeks for, for Gator tennis down in Lake Nona. You know, it's funny when you mentioned too, just the, the nature of that story and how incredible it was. And it sort of speaks to something I talked about on our, our podcast last week with with Chris and Scott kind of recapping the year, just the role that sports play, especially the college sports play in society, right? I mean, we're not, no, this is not curing cancer, right? But it, but it is important and it is part of our, our, our social fabric that you have these organic stories, the son of the head coach clinching the national title. I mean, those are things we get from sports and especially college sports that are, you know, you, it's just hard to find those anywhere else. And it's truth sometimes is stranger than fiction. Yeah, well, there's there's no question that, think about this campus, University of Florida, you know, it's, it's the number six public rated public university in the country, you know, just on the cusp of being a top five public university, uh, over 50,000 students, um, the number one hospital in the entire state of Florida, um, unbelievable work being done in, in areas like artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and early childhood development and, you know, engineering and just incredible amount of talented, really smart people who are making a difference. And you've got this one little entity in the middle of campus with 500 students going out and trying to win ball games, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the scope of a 50,000 student campus, 
number wise are relatively insignificant. But right. but to your point, the you know the way our culture um, really values athletics and the way it has the power to rally people together and to and to care and to be engaged. Um, that's, you know, really unique and, um, always, uh, remind the board of trustees for the university when I have a chance to visit with them is that, you know, this, this campus does an unbelievable job of educating 50,000 students, whether, uh, the UAA exists or not, but the fact that UAA does exist, people who would not otherwise be aware of some of the wonderful things that are happening on this campus, um, now get to engage and they get to find out, yes, about the Gators and we were orange and blue, we play in the swamp and all the other really special things that, that make being a part of Gator Nation fun. But through that, they, they learn what a great university this is and how it's changing not only the state of Florida, but changing the world. And that's that's the platform we've been given is to bring people into the University of Florida. And it goes back to what you're saying. It's the fact that people care about athletics and, and they like uh, cheering for young people. They like having a team to cheer for and, and be a part of and have ownership in. We're going to clip that for a PSA. So pause for clipping PSA. Um, another big milestone from the spring was the opening of Florida ballpark. I know it was not uh, exactly as everyone would have liked with the ability to fill it up and set records because of the COVID restrictions. But now that you know a good number of people have had a chance to go through it over the course of the season, how pleased have you been with the reception to Florida ballpark? Um it's been remarkable the, the amount of people who stopped me to to you know share their experience and and how impressed they are and, and how much fun it is going to a game there in fact i had had somebody just today uh i was talking to mention that, that they had a chance to go and they were going into detail about some of the touches that they noticed uh and you know just how much fun whether you're a huge baseball fan or just you know just marginally a baseball fan how much fun it is to go and 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 watch a game there and so um you know from a from a operation standpoint this was kind of a practice year because we didn't have regular crowds in fact for most of the year we had um you know about 25 percent of capacity and we grew that to 50 percent um as, as the vaccines got more established but it's something that uh, i think is really gonna uh, the the city of gainesville the the campus community at the university of florida are really going to learn to uh, to love and and uh, want to come and come and be a part of. I, I was uh, really encouraged by the student support we had this year, you know, and, and those berms and some of the areas out in the Disney Grove, the Adirondack chairs and out by the food trucks. Uh, I think people, um, you know, the, the students especially really enjoyed that. It's almost, you know, I, I, the old uh, McKeithen was kind of one size fits all. There, there was, uh, you know, you got to sit on a piece of metal and watch a game for the most part. Um, you know, this, this ballpark, really has a little something for everyone and season didn't turn out the way we wanted to on the field, but in the stands and, and from the way the ballpark interacted with the fans and, and gave them the opportunity to really be up close and personal to, to the action on the field and, and, and create a little bit of an atmosphere. We couldn't be more pleased. Hmm. So that this is kind of a complex question. So let me, let me try and, and get this across. It makes sense in my head. I'll see if it works when I put it out there. So, you know, so many businesses learned a lot during COVID about the way the world is changing and how to adapt. So for example, uh, I think there was a prevailing theory that you know remote work was never going to be as productive as in-person work. And then a lot of companies figured out through COVID, well, that's not necessarily true. People can be productive at home. So now we can offer 
you know, more flexible work situations where people can work from home. And that's something that, that COVID brought that has, has made a change moving forward as we go out of COVID. So my question is, is there anything that you and your staff learned through this year, maybe a challenge presented by COVID, but the solution makes sense long-term that you've been able to come out of it with? I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand the question. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are some things, but but you know we are in a uh, experiential enterprise, college mm-hmm. athletics. Um, you know we're not. We're, this isn't Amazon where you go and you order <laughs> something that shows up two days later and you have something physical in your hands. Right. This is uh, you are people. Whether it's our student athletes who are who are in an educational setting and they're in, a, in an athletic setting and competing or training or whether it's those of us on staff or whether it's uh, our fans, alumni, and student body. Um, you know, when we say we, we want to provide a championship experience with integrity, that experience word is really an important part of that because you have to experience it. You mm-hmm. can't just observe it. You can't zoom it. You've got to be a part of it to, for it to really have the impact that, that it's designed to have. And so, uh, while I'm sure there's some things that that we learn about, you know, yes, we know we can work remotely. We we had a remote working plan even before COVID at the UAA, um, be, because we understand everybody's schedule and athletics is a little bit wonky mm-hmm. sometimes and, and unique. But you know, I, I think more than anything, it it really cemented the idea that that when we have opportunities to come together as Gator Nation, whether it's at a football game or a basketball game or anywhere else. Uh, we need to we need to treasure those opportunities and and those of us who work here we need to make sure that the fans who are who are investing their time and resources to come be a part of it you know get everything out of it that that they could possibly want and so uh, I guess the, the the short answer to your question after I rambled on here for a little bit is <laughs> nothing replaces uh, human interaction mm-hmm. and, and you know face to face stuff and yeah we can we can get by and we can we can be somewhat productive doing it the other way but. Uh, over a sustained period of time, I, I think uh, face-to-face human interaction are really going to be important for us all. In terms of that fan experience, you mentioned right off the top how excited everyone is to get back to the swamp coming up in September. What should fans expect in the fall from that experience? Do, do you envision it being exactly like it would have been before COVID or have aspects of that changed as a result of what we've all gone through? You know, there'll, there'll be some some things that have changed just techno- uh, from a technology standpoint that that we're all kind of we're all kind of trending toward that uh, the pandemic probably accelerated. So, digital ticketing uh, is going to be you know the the norm going mm-hmm. forward. Um, <clears throat> cashless concession interactions, you know, where you pay with your phone or or something like that, debit card, is going to be the norm going forward. Um, I think we're going to have tailgating and I don't think it's going to, I think tailgating is going to look the way tailgating has always looked. And, um, you know, when, when everyone's in their seats, hopefully vaccinated, but shoulder to shoulder and yelling and cheering and doing the Gator chop and, and singing, we are the boys and swaying back and forth and yelling for the team when they get here, come the Gators. You know, I, I don't know that that's going to be any different. I hope that's not different because, because mm-hmm. those are pretty special um, things that we all get to participate in. So, um, uh, you know, there are always things that we're looking to do from a convenience standpoint to make it, you know, uh, take away barriers or reasons people would not want to come to the game. But we don't want to lose any of those things that, that people really look forward to when they come into the into the venue. 
Uh, in terms of some other big news that happened since the last time we spoke, obviously, uh, Becky Burley's retirement, and, and that caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, obviously, a huge change in, in the history of that program. How surprised were you by that? And, and how did you how did she share it with you? What do you remember about getting that call? I think it was sometime in December. She reached out and and let me know what she was thinking. I, and candidly, I you know I, I had a feeling that that she was you know um, getting close to wanting to make that decision just from from prior conversations. And um, and then she wanted to tell the team uh, whether that was I think late January, early February. We we shared that information with the team and 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 you know this. Um, was such an odd year for soccer. We played all of our conference matches in the fall and all of our non-conference in the spring. And then still blaze were in, you know, late April. And, and because we didn't do very well in the fall, uh, we didn't qualify. So we actually had a pretty decent spring, but um, it was, it was, you know, certainly we're appreciative of Becky and, and all she's meant to, to the Gators. And, you know, she's the only coach that the soccer program has ever had here at the University of Florida, 26 years 1998 national champion, several SEC championships, and she's an icon in the sport of women's uh, uh, soccer. So um, you don't just replace someone like that. And uh, uh, but you know, we, we uh, I kind of laugh because there's a lot of positions here at, at University of Florida um, where someone's coming in replacing someone who's been really successful and has built a long-term legacy. And, and I'm one of those people who did that. I, you know, <laughs> coming in after Jeremy Foley, you don't replace right. Jeremy Foley, but I, I was the AD after Jeremy and, and uh, you know, I, uh, you know, we have several others, whether it's uh, a Jenny Roll in gymnastics or uh, uh, Mike White in basketball or, or heck even, you know, at some point uh, an Urban Meyer coming in, uh, you know, uh, in the position that was once held by Steve Spurrier and now Dan Mull. I mean, you, you're, you're going to replace people who, were really successful, uh, by and large, if you, if you come uh, be a part of to be a part of the Gators, and so uh, we hired a guy named Tony Amato, who I'm really excited about. Um, we we really looked to uh, have as much diversity in that search as possible, and obviously, I'm not going to talk about who we who we looked at or who we talked to, um, but we talked to several women. We we talked to people of color, and um, because of the timing and where we were in the year, Tony's name just kept coming back up to the surface. And, and, and he stood out among all these, uh, all these, you know, this really diverse pool that we were looking at. And, uh, you know, as a guy that's won at three different levels, you know, and played, uh, grew up here in Florida, played at, at Rollins, uh, coached at Rollins, had a lot of success, went to Stephen F. Austin over in Texas, had a lot of successes, uh, took over an Arizona program. And I think it made the NCAA twice in a 15-year period, and okay. has made them a a uh, uh, pretty consistent NCAA tournament team, and led them to their first Sweet 16. And you can just tell this is a guy that's going to be successful wherever he is. And uh, he and his wife—I mentioned he's from Florida. His wife's also from Florida, and they're they're both excited about coming back to the state. And you know, they they understand that this is a pretty special opportunity to be a part of the University of Florida. Among the, the many facility projects that are happening right now, one of the latest is the expansion to the lacrosse, the soccer complex, which Tony obviously have the, uh, the benefit of using. Can you just talk about that project and how you expect it to elevate both of those programs in the process? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the work being done at Disney Stadium is, uh, is about a $13,000, I'm sorry, 13,000 square foot <laughs> expansion. It's going to cost more than $13,000, yeah. <laughs> about $7 million. Um, that's, that's going to provide uh, some renovated space and additional space for lacrosse. So currently lacrosse has their, their clubhouse 
their locker room and their and their training room, and um, you know, and really that's about it. They they don't have coaches' offices, they don't have a team meeting room, video room. So we're going to add that for lacrosse, and then we're going to mirror all of that with space for soccer out there because soccer practices out there. They have a they have a training field um, mm-hmm. out there uh, adjacent to Disney Stadium. And then they play their matches at Disney Stadium, but their locker room is over here at Limran in the center of campus. So right. we, it's important that we give those ladies the, the same kind of experience that we give everybody else. And so they're going to have a, uh, you know, a, a building to call home right there where they train and where they play. And so that's, um, that's underway. They've broken ground. That's going to be completed sometime in March of 22. So uh, they, they'll have one more year kind of living the nomadic lifestyle and then the soccer team will, and then they'll be able to settle in. And at the same time, we're, uh, continuing to invest in, in lacrosse and and uh, that program that you know has obviously had a lot of success under under Mandy O'Leary's leadership. Um, and then the other one you didn't ask me this, but but I I just will go right into it from a facility standpoint is the the work on the the Hebner Football Training Center. It was uh, my next question. You read. My I knew. Mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking ahead, Adam. Yeah, we've done these enough and long true. enough. I, I know what what you're going to ask before you ask it. You you know you know where the flow is headed. Yes. <laughs> It's, you know, the, the, the Hebner football training center is, uh, uh, it's going to be more grand than I think we imagined. We were looking at designs and, and blueprints and all that drawings, and that kind of thing. Um, we had a topping out ceremony last week, which is when you, you finish putting all the, the steel mm-hmm. in place. That is the, the bones of the facility, if you will. And just the scope and the scale of, of that facility is, is just so impressive. 140,000 square feet, $85 million that, that are going to be invested there. And I think I've talked about it on, on the podcast with you before, Adam, but it's obviously it's going to be the day-to-day home for football and vast majority of the spaces in there are going to be football specific, but um, there's going to be a dining hall in the very front that's going to service all 500 Gator student athletes along with uh, a, a student athlete lounge and amenity center uh, that, that all of our student athletes will be able to interact with. And, and I think that says a lot about, you know, the one Florida team, Florida approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also says a lot about uh, Dan Mullen that he understands uh, the value of having, you know, his football players around these other super successful athletes in a social setting uh, on a daily basis. And, you know, you may have an all sec linebacker, you know, in, in the food line next to, an Olympic swimmer or, uh, you know, a national champion in, in the 200 meters track or something like that. You know, there's just, there's, there's, as you know, we're incredibly blessed with uh, remarkable young people and anything we can do for them to interact with one another and learn from one another and support one another is really important. So that facility is going to provide that, but it's also going to provide an unbelievable um, resources for our football program. You know, it's right there adjacent to the, uh, the Farrier practice fields and the Condren indoor facility. And uh, in fact, the, the, the new weight room in the building is going to uh, like look and open connect to the Condren indoor. So it's, it's, it's going to be a game changer and it's going to um, you know, the reason it took us a little bit longer than we had originally planned is the original site was probably not going to be a long-term fix just because of the, the tight footprint and uh, by, by taking our time and building the Florida ballpark where we did and, and repurposing that area where baseball was to, to build the football facility, it's, it's going to be um, something that, that several generations of, of Gator football teams will be able to utilize and, and take advantage of. 
not only did you anticipate my next two questions, you also even lifted the word game changer right out of it. So either I accidentally hit the screen share button or I need to get less predictable. One of the two. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm just a robot, man. Adam, you just wind me up and I go, you know that. Um, Well, then then I'm sure you, you should anticipate this next question as well, which is, what happens now, right? Now that this, we've, we've checked so many of the boxes when we started having these discussions a few years ago, what's next on the, on the wish list for facilities and the infrastructure that helps support the Gators? Yeah. You know, it's, that's a great question. And before I go there, I, I do want to point out that in, uh, since 2015, so this is in the last six years, the UAA has either completed or begun construction projects totaling almost $300 million. I think it's $295 million. Mm -hmm. Going back to the Hawkins Center, the Condren Indoor, the work done in Exact Tech, um, you know, Florida Ballpark, KBC, Sean Presley, all these, all these, you know, really large projects in a six year period, that's $295 million. That's, that's really an incredible amount of infrastructure going into place. So what I would say to that is I think we have a couple hundred million to go. To, to really get it like we need it to be. We, we obviously have great facilities and, and our athletes benefit from that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, our attention is going to turn toward Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and, and what's, you know, what's the the swamp need to adapt and adjust to be uh, going forward. It's one of the most iconic uh, college football stadiums in the country. And a lot of history work, you know, obviously every Gator is incredibly proud and has great memories from coming to games in the swamp. But, um, you know, you have to continually look ahead and, and look around the corner and try to anticipate um, how do we make sure that, you know, I think the swamp is over is 90 years old. I think it was built in thir- 1930 or somewhere in there, the original in, uh, iteration. Um, and so it's approaching 100 years of age. And so, um, you know, we want to be around for another 100 years. So what do we need to do from an investment standpoint, infrastructure, fan amenities, new seating uh opportunities and that kind of thing to to make sure that it can continue to to serve as I, that iconic home and and i think a little bit um just you know i don't have a lot of details because we're going to select design teams and contractors sometime this fall to start spending a probably a 12-month period really studying it and determining what that scope needs to be um so i don't want to get too far out ahead but but from a just a uh, what i envision you know, you, you look at a ballpark, uh, you look at a facility like Fenway Park, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years ago, the Red Sox in the city of Boston was, there was a lot of debate about, you know, you know, Fenway was, had outlived its usefulness and did they need to tear it down and build a new ballpark for the Red Sox? And, and instead of doing that, they chose to invest in Fenway and update it and modernize it. And, you know, it's, it's maintained the charm and uniqueness and, uh, you know, it's still a really special place for, for Red Sox fans, but it's, it's more modern. Uh, Wrigley Field has just undergone something very similar. Dodger Stadium has just undergone yeah. something very similar. Those are the three oldest parks in, in Major League Baseball. And I know we're talking about a football stadium, not, not a baseball stadium, but I think you can learn some lessons from, from that approach and what occurred. And in all three instances, they were able to modernize those facilities while maintaining the special qualities that, that the stadiums, that those ballparks have. Um, so I would love to to try to figure out a way to thread that needle. How can we modernize it and provide some amenities for our fans and some, some new seating options and, you know, really high end audio visual type amenities, but at the same time, not lose the, 
that that special feeling you get when you walk in the swamp and the, the fans feel like they're right on top of the field and and they're able to you know create that energy so that's uh that's that's going to be next and look forward to you know as we move down that path and and figure out what that's going to look like look forward to sharing some ideas with data nation a couple final things for you this is such a weird time in college athletics, right? There's so many things happening with transfer rules changing, uh, the issue of compensating players for their likeness, even student athletes unionizing. Um, how do you and, and your staff navigate this tricky time where there are so many really important issues being debated that could really change the, the nature of college athletics? That's a great question, Adam. And, uh, you know, we've we're focused number one on what's best for our, our students, our student athletes, and, and how do we support them, and, and how can we um, make sure they're taking advantage of all the opportunities that uh, that are ahead of them right now, and what's going to happen? Because you're right, July one of twenty one, regardless of what happens in Washington D.C., uh, the state of Florida is going to have a new law in place that's going to allow our student athletes to to monetize their name, image, and likeness rights. And uh, so I think it's important for them to understand what that means. I think it's also important that we, we educate Gator Nation what it doesn't mean. You know, the state law is very specific about um, the athletes will have this right, but it can't be provided by the school. It can't be provided by a booster. It can't be provided uh, as a pay-for-play mechanism. It's got to be based on market value related to sponsorships. And so everything I just said sounds great. In application and practice, there's going to be some parts of that that we're going to have to navigate and, mm-hmm. and learn as we go. And, uh, but we've, you know, we've, we've, we spent a lot of time studying it. We have spent a lot of time preparing for this day. And, um, I do know, you know, however it plays out that, um, it's going to be a really good time to be a student athlete at the university of Florida because of the platform that, that being a Gator gives you and, and the opportunities that are going to come because of that. But, you know, I think it's really important that we all understand what the law says. And, you know, this is unusual because typically when we're talking about a change to something that impact student athletes we're talking about a change to an NCAA rule or a change right. to an SEC rule right this is a law and so the the application and enforcement piece is a little bit different uh, when you're when you're when you're looking at something that has been signed into law by a governor uh, as opposed to something that the NCAA has voted on so um, we're going to be really um, smart about it and diligent and do everything we can to support our athletes and make sure they understand that uh, they, they have a personal brand and uh, they, they get a chance to represent it every day, their personal brand, the same way they, they get to represent the Gator brand. For those that don't know, uh, you are on the college football playoff selection committee. Um, so I don't know to what degree individual members can share thoughts on these changes going on. But the CFP is in the news for potentially the significant change to expand it to 12 teams. Um, I'm just curious, what can you say about that? What would you like to say about that and, and all the discussion that, that it's generating? Well, uh, Adam, actually, my term on the CFP just ended. So I, oh, I it's can, over. I'm unencumbered. No. Um, unshackled. Unshackled. <laughs> I, uh, I was really encouraged by the, uh, the plan put forth by the working group to expand the, the CFP to 12 teams. I, I think it was really well thought out. You know, they, they have, I think they found a really elegant solution. Um, you know, my, my concern about where where we have been in the sport of college football is that I was worried that our postseason had stopped being as meaningful as it should be. Mm-hmm. And certainly it was not as meaningful as what we have in other sports. And, you know, I, I, it was really important 
in my opinion, that that we find a way to make college football's postseason more meaningful and more impactful. And so uh, I, I think this is a, a really positive step in that direction. And uh, it's not a you know, it's not done yet. There's still some other committees that have to review this work and and uh, codify it. But um, the framework that that uh, has been put in place to me is really exciting as, as someone who works in college athletics and then just someone who's a fan. I, I think mm-hmm. this could be incredibly exciting um, to to look at. You know, you have a weekend in December where you have four first round games and, and the winner of those four games go on and play the top four seeds. I mean, just just that's that's uh, eight total of eight ball games in those two rounds right there that are going to be uh, high level, high stakes, incredibly entertaining if you're a fan and, and uh, of, of just the sport. And if you're a fan of one of those teams, uh, that's going to be an incredible thrill ride to, to be a part of, of all that. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think there's, it's a real positive step and I hope it happens soon. Final thing for you, you know, we always have to find out your latest picks. You've given me so many great recommendations over the years. I always take them to heart and I am almost always grateful for them after I, I follow through. So what is what is on the docket? What is what has been in your recent rearview mirror and what is ahead of you as you, you go into the summer? Well, I, I had to prepare, you know, last couple times I haven't been, uh, you know, you kind of caught me off guard for some reason. I wasn't anticipating the question. So I think you, you get, you gave me Ted Lasso last time. You, I Ted, did Lasso Ted Lasso. Was, yeah. That was a great recommendation. Season two coming out in July. That's correct. Yes. Ted Lasso fans. Um, so there's a mo- there's a series on Netflix with the uh, Sacha Baron Cohen called uh, the spy. I've seen it really I, good. Right. I, I, f- I finally got ahead of you on something. Yeah. I watched that a few months ago and it's not what you'd expect because it's Sasha Baron Cohen, but it's a true story and it's, it's a dramatic role there. There's no Borat running around. It's actually no. a very serious, a very serious topic. Yeah. It, which gives you an insight to how talented he is because yes, you think absolutely. of him as the comedian, but he, this was a very dramatic role and yeah. it was outstanding. Well done. Great acting all the way around. Great story. And, and to your point, based on a true story of a, of a, Israeli spy. Um, and then the uh, the other one that I've not finished yet, I've got about halfway through it, is, uh, and you probably are ahead of me on this one too, is Mayor of Easttown. It, I'll tell you this, it has been, it's on the docket. We've been, my fiance and I have been trying to get through the West Wing. It took us eight months, but we just finished the West Wing last week. So now Mayor of Easttown is next. Six episodes as opposed to 158. It should be yeah. a little bit of an easier lift. Well, congrats! I actually watched West Wing when it was when it was you know you know oh, in, real time in, in real time. Wow! Yeah, but I have gone back, and and that's kind of my when I have a uh, forty five minutes to kill is I'll, I'll I'm starting to work my way back to West Wing, and I'm into wow. season three now. So what a wonderful show that is, right? Just the acting, really storylines, and if you like politics, that's that's a that's a fun show as well. Yeah, no, it's awesome. What else do you What else do you have that I need to be on the lookout for? I, see, it's this usually goes the other way. Um, I, I, have you seen In the Heights yet? In the Heights is incredible. I have not seen that. That's the Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah, recommend that and recommend it in a theater. I don't know if you've been back to a movie theater yet, but that's a. It's again, you talk about coming together and things we shouldn't replace. We should not replace the the theater experience for movies. That's a good one to to return to. Um, I'm tr- see, I've I've been so locked in. I've been so locked in on on West Wing. I think I've, I don't know. I've I've been very you know myopic in my vision here. I don't I don't have a lot else to share. So my my either people are going to think that I'm I'm you know hip with pop culture, or they're gonna they're gonna roll their eyes. But like my family watches the uh, the Marvel movies and and shows. And so mm-hmm. WandaVision, did you have yeah. a chance to watch WandaVision? 
Yeah, WandaVision. Yeah, the, I will say, yeah, the Marvel shows have been really good. Falcon Winter Soldier was good. Loki looks interesting. Even even the Mighty Ducks series was actually was pleasantly surprising. I don't know if you caught any of that. I didn't. I didn't catch the Mighty Ducks, but I thought WandaVision was. I liked it better than uh, the Winter Soldier one myself. But yeah, it, um, it was it was a little more. It was more different. It felt yeah. like, as opposed to just being a long Marvel movie. It had a different energy about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so anything else on the queue, anything else you're hoping to get to here soon? No, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, uh, as the summer goes along, I have a stack of books. I'm, I'm going to try to start reading and, and catch up on, you know, I think I've told you I'm a Saints fan. Someone gave me a, a book about Drew Brees and, uh, his career. I, I just finished reading is, you know, which is, it was really good. It was nothing. It was what you would think from a guy who's as successful. He's, you know, super competitive, super hard worker, invest a lot of times while he was as good as he was. But, um, yeah, just you know, I'm looking forward to catching up on on finishing Mayor of Easttown and maybe finding a new show or two and doing doing some reading. Uh, any any vacations? Any ways to get away now that this crazy year has come to a close? Oh yeah, uh, I don't have any. I don't. I don't have any far flung trips planned, but I'm sure we'll get over to one of our our nice beaches here in the state of Florida and uh, get get a little bit of downtime and get some of those books read. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much as always for the time. Thank you for sharing some recommendations as always. And uh, we know Gator Nation is very excited to come back in the fall and, and do this the right way. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Can't wait to everybody rest up. We're going to need a lot of energy when uh, the fall rolls around and can't wait to uh, shake some hands and high five some Gators at the swamp. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.